Hi everyone, you're listening to episode number 18 of the Elysium Project podcast, Breathwork with Dr. Samuel Milkarski. I'm your host, Brian Johnson. If you support the Elysium Project vision and enjoy the content we produce, we encourage you to head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Elysium Project TV, where you can join our insider zone for as little as $3 per month. There you'll find access to exclusive videos, audio downloads, monthly articles, and our gratitude package, all for less than the price of a single cup of coffee. Bringing amazing guests on this podcast is our passion, but it takes a lot of time and money to produce, so we really do appreciate your support. And remember, you can cancel at any time. Once again, that website is Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash Elysium Project TV. Or you can find that link from our website, www.elysiumproject.tv. Also, we want to hear from you. If you have any feedback about the show or have a particular guest you would like us to have on, please feel free to send us an email at podcast at elysiumproject.tv. All right, returning to today's show, we have Dr. Samuel A. Milkarski. Dedicated to raising health for a better world, Dr. Sam can help evoke the beneficial changes needed to help your group or organization thrive and prosper at a higher level, experiencing a higher quality of life, as well as saving precious time, energy, and money. Dr. Sam, welcome back to the show. Awesome. Great to be on again, Brian. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. So today's show, the topic of the show is focused on breath work and breathing and how we can, obviously breathing is something we all do and not a lot of us have necessarily been properly trained in proper ways of breathing. So let's get right into it, talking about breath work, how you got into it, uh, the history of it, all the good stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, it's something that's obviously vitally important as breath literally defines our life from the first one we take to the last one we take. And I think the biggest assumption out there that I see definitely at least clinically day to day is people always ask me, well, why are we going to do this? I mean, I, I assume I'm breathing correctly. I'm alive. Mm. And <laughs> that's the mistake I think people make. Like, yes, most people are walking around alive somehow. Uh, <laughs> but uh, un- unfortunately, they're breathing very shallow and, <clears throat> and very much uh, in a way that's not conducive to thriving. So this is a big difference between being alive and thriving. And that is the thing that I'm always working on with people. How can we get you breathing better so that you thrive? Because when people thrive, then they're usually not in chronic pain and they're not depressed and they don't have a lot of emotional turmoil and the monkey mind racing all the time. They're very usually clear and centered and grounded uh, in their life. So breath work is so vitally important that uh, I spend a lot of time on this day to day uh, in the clinic with patients and clients. I mean, constantly just everybody gets breathing exercises from me because I don't find that most people breathe correctly. So I got into it basically because I had health challenges when I was born and, and I came out a little bit crooked. My hips were twisted and I uh, had to wear one of those braces that had the bar between the two shoes. It looked like the shoes were, were on the wrong feet. Mm-hmm. And so I had some developmental issues. And that kind of set me up to have some developmental problems later in life, including poor breathing, which I never really got diagnosed until later in life. And it was something that the more I looked into this topic, I was like, wow, I really suck at this. (laughs) You know, it was one of those things that I I had to come to grips with 
uh, that, you know, thinking like same as everyone else, well, I must be doing it right. There's no need to focus on that at all. But when I really started to just run some objective tests, I was like, wow, I got work to do. And then when I addressed the uh, issue at hand, I just found that everything started changing. Quality of sleep, quality of strength, quality of recovery from workouts, quality of uh, your libido, quality of your thoughts, your thought patterns, uh, your ability to be resilient in life and uh, your mood and emotions, just, just being in a good mood most of the time. And, and when, when you get thrown off, coming right back to center. So it really does affect all that stuff. And it is wisdom, as I like to say, of the ages and the sages. We've heard it before, breath is life. And, uh, you know, life is breath. But it's a matter of, no pun intended here, paying at lip service versus actually having the experience to where once you feel it one good time, I guarantee you'd be sold. Like once you really tap into the breath, you're like, whoa, now I understand what the yogis, yoginis were talking about or, you know, the other traditions and, and the, you know, the Eastern cultures, the Asian stuff, same thing with, with the breath being connected to chi flow. And it, it is a real phenomenon and breath is really that powerful. Hmm. And you mentioned doing it incorrectly, like breathing incorrectly. So let's start with that. What is breathing incorrectly versus a more flowing kind of uh, correct way to breathe? Sure. As a friend of mine likes to say, you know, good, better, best. So if we, <laughs> we did, if we said, okay, incorrect versus correct, but there really probably is legitimately a way to say, yeah, that's not correct based on norms. So if somebody has what's called paradoxical breathing or inverted breathing, that means if you ask them to take a breath in, you say, hey, take a deep breath in for me, you'll actually see them go, and they'll suck in either through their nose or their mouth, but you'll actually see their stomach area go inward and their chest rise up and their shoulders rise up toward their ears. And that's what's called inverted or backward breathing. And that that is definitely not a correct way to breathe most of the time. Hmm. And you can see this pattern in a lot of people now, especially when they're texting. You see their shoulders right mm. up and they're holding the phone in front of them. And not only are they breathing uh, probably backward, they're not even breathing at all most of the time. And that's what we call a no-hailer. So <laughs> you're not inhaling or exhaling, you're no-hailing. And it's not a good habit. There is a, a lady that coined a term called uh, email apnea. But I, I kind of changed it to waking apnea because it's not just when people email or text. It's, it's in a lot of things. I see people do it when they're driving, when they're watching a movie especially if the movie is a, if it is a scary movie or something that's not comedy or relaxing, people just grip the, mm. you know, grip the chair or whatever and their shoulders come up. So that pattern is definitely not a good pattern. So if you were to just sit in front of the mirror, here's a good test for your listeners. If you sit in front of the mirror and just allow a deep breath to come in, if you see your shoulders rise up immediately towards your ears or your chest come out and your stomach is going inward, you're breathing backward. And a lot of people do this. They're not even aware they're doing it. But, uh, it's a very poor way to breathe because it does stimulate the sympathetic response, which is also called a fight or flight response or freeze. You know, sometimes that one doesn't get mentioned, but that's part of it, right? You either fight or flight or freeze. Sometimes mm. you just freeze like the deer in the headlight thing. And that's a kind of a paralysis that people get to when they're under state of tension or fear. So that kind of breathing, uh, that backward breathing, inverted breathing is very much connected to sympathetic response which is not good if you're running that program all the time because now you're in a state of survival all the time. And if you're in a state of survival all the time, then you can't be in the opposite, which is called parasympathetic or rest and digest, which is also called the healing response or the relaxation response. So some people will say, well, I don't feel stressed. Of course, they say it like that too. <laughs> I don't feel stressed. No, not at all. The tone of your voice would indicate you're perfectly relaxed right now. <laughs> 
but ideally I said, okay, well, you know, there's ways to test that. So besides just objective breath measures, I mean, there's other tests like heart rate variability or other, some, some other kind of objective scientific measures. And you can show someone right away, you're actually stuck in fight or flight. Now, most people that are in chronic pain, like if they have chronic pain and to me, I would define chronic pain, you know, some people would say several weeks long, but let's say it's at least several months and definitely at least, you know, from a year on for sure, that's chronic. But I'd say even after several months, pain hasn't gone away. It's chronic pain. They are always, and I've never seen a person clinically that's not in sympathetic upregulation, which means their sympathetic nervous system is in high gear and they're running it. Even if it's subtle, it's running in the background all the time. And that is not a good thing because like I said, you can't heal them. Hmm. I'm wondering when, when you said that, and you're talking about the incorrect way of breathing, or we'll call it incorrect, but the inverted, as you said. Um, is it something that we learn to do incorrectly? Meaning like when, when a baby and a child is born, because I know I've done a bit of singing, and when they're talking about breathing for singing, um, they often talk about how like a, a baby or a child, you, you, they can let out that big, ah, and they're they're doing it properly from the diaphragm, whereas... So, so I guess what I'm asking is, is, is this something that we actually learn to do incorrectly? Absolutely. So it could come all the way from a birth trauma. You think about if a child comes out with normal delivery and everything goes well, then they're not coming in the world on a vibration or frequency of shock or fear or stress. But a lot of kids sometimes get hung up or even the way, unfortunately, some of the birthing process is done, at least in America, I mean, the baby a lot of times is taken from the mother right away. The cord is cut way too soon. Hmm. You know, it's still pulsing in immunoglobins into that child. And the child is like, in a sense, stripped from from their mother, right? And then washed off. And then the cord is clipped early. I mean, it's very traumatic. And then sometimes they use suction to pull the meconium hmm. out of a child's lungs. So it's kind of like this, <gasps> you know, right. like from the get-go. So it's like sometimes people come into the world on that frequency, unfortunately. And it can be ingrained even from that point. But for sure, by about age three or four, your pattern's pretty locked in. And if you don't become aware of it, you're going to carry it into adulthood with you. It's not to always say it's a bad pattern, but it could be. And yes, it's for sure learned because kids want to emulate their their parents uh, and other elders if they look up to them. They want to be like the big people in the tribe. And uh, unfortunately, the big people in the tribe sometimes are very dysfunctional. <laughs> and then kids emulate that and they grow up to be dysfunctional too. So they can be part of the tribe. But uh, for sure, it can be a learned behavior. And then uh, other than that, it can come on from trauma. So if it wasn't a birth trauma, just uh, let's say it was a car accident mm. or a bike accident. If you're a little kid and you're riding your, riding your dirt bike, your pedal bike, and you flip over the handlebars, I mean, usually it's going to happen at some point. A uh, law of averages. I know I had several bike accidents yeah. as a kid. Even as an adult, I had a pretty good one where I slid on my head. And uh, you asked me for a helmet now. Uh, yeah, I wear a helmet now. <laughs> <laughs> That was a tough lesson, and, and I'll never forget when that actually happened to me, because that did, literally, I was upside down, and I didn't even know what happened. Like, let, next thing I know, I'm upside down, the bike's on top of me, and the only noise I heard was this. I could hardly breathe. It was the scariest feeling, hmm. and I knew I was upside down on the cement, bleeding pretty bad, and uh, I could hardly breathe, and I, I had to retrain my breathing pattern definitely after that trauma, uh, for sure, because I had, I had cracked a rib in my clavicle, possibly was broken i never had it x-rayed but uh it was kind of like sticking outward uh <laughs> you know bulging outward for sure mm. it was it was pretty beat up inside of my skull was ripped open so there's a lot of trauma there and i had to relearn a breathing pattern after that so then the other thing about learning is just emotional 
right? Like if a child is browbeaten, like you're no good and you'll never amount to anything or that's not going to work or why do you want to do that with your life? Then I don't know anyone that's browbeaten that ever breathes correctly. They just don't go hand in hand because how you breathe is how you live mm. for sure. So if, if somebody is beat up mentally and they really internalize that, for sure what happens, right? Their shoulders come forward and they start to protect their heart and their lungs and they just shut down. Hmm. And then um, that becomes a pattern. And then in terms of emotions as well, grief, like if somebody lost a significant other or something else in their life that, that meant a lot to them and they start to grieve, same thing, the lungs start to, to just pull that grief in and then your breathing can become uh, altered. And if you don't reset it, it can become a problem that gets ingrained. Mm-hmm. And how does one go about resetting it, I guess, would be the next <laughs> question. What, uh, what are some of the, the breathwork techniques that, that you're using in your day-to-day life that you're teaching to your clients and maybe that some of our listeners can pick up from this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So one of, one of the things is a lot of people start with an in-breath, right? They, they try to start the breathing practice by breathing in. But I, I like the saying, when in doubt, breathe out. Because most of the time, if people are holding their breath, what happens is if there's something called a CO2 reflex, and if you breathe all the way out and just fully exhale, if it's through your nose or pursed lips, like, or just through your nose to the point that you can't breathe out anymore. Now, you don't want to get to the point where you're going to have a hernia, you know, you don't be like, oh my God, you know, and strain and then injure yourself, but you want to get close to that point, almost to the point of a little discomfort. And then just allow the breath back in because it'll happen naturally. What's going to happen is you're going to get to the end of that breath. And then this is going to happen. Like it'll just, you'll just feel the air just come back in. It's, it's a triggered response. Right. You really almost don't have a choice. It's just going to happen. So that's one cool way. I like to call that a reset breath. People could do that. Gosh, you know, several times a day. I actually have a, a drill that I do that I call the, the breathing bell. And uh, it's a, just a noise on my phone. I picked a tone on my phone that's nothing. I don't use that bell for anything but breathing. So when I hear it, it goes off and it sounds like almost like an old school bell. And uh, I always laugh because it does make me smile. And then I'm like, the breathing bell. <laughs> it's time to consciously breathe. <laughs> and I usually will say that out loud and I start laughing. And then uh, I do. I actually shut the bell off and then I'll take 10 conscious breaths, full breaths, and then I move on with my day. So you imagine doing that eight to 10 times a day, depending on how many waking hours you're up or, or even more than that, you know, but that's a lot of retraining. You know, even if you did that eight to 10 times a day, what ends up happening is you just start to stay more in that zone of being aware of your breath. And then days become about how many conscious breaths you took instead of the minutes ticking by on the clock. And it actually does kind of warp time. So it's a, it's a really neat uh, habit if you want or intention cue. I know I've adopted and it's served me quite well. So that's one thing. And, and like I said, doing the reset breath is another, you know, is another way just to trigger like the, a full exhalation so you can take a full inhalation, um, you know, and, and that very often is a good thing. Now, in terms of staying balanced uh, with your breathing, I like to teach what's called coherent breathing. And all that means is you're going to take an equal in breath and out breath. So if you can breathe comfortably for four seconds in, then you would breathe comfortably for four seconds out. And ideally, you want to kind of stay in connected to that all day long. Um, I always tell people, yeah, for a little while, you might have to get a little obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't beat yourself up. You're like, damn it, I'm holding my breath again. It's like, yeah, welcome to enlightenment. That's <laughs> what happens. You will frustrate the hell out of yourself, possibly. But if you take it lighthearted, you won't. You'll just, it'll make you realize how often you're holding your breath. You know, you're like, oh, I'm doing it again. And 
I always tell my patients, your thingy is connected to your breath. So they'll come and say, my neck thingy or my back thingy or, you know, this pain here or there. So they're thingy. I said, yeah, that's, that's always connected to your breath. And inevitably they come back, oh my God, you're right. Like the other day when my neck started tightening up, I thought about what you said. And you're right. I was holding my breath. Like I told you. Mm. There's, it doesn't just happen. Your neck doesn't just spasm for the hell of it. You, know? mm-hmm. you don't get back pain for the hell of it. It's, there's always a reason. And if you choke off your, your air supply, that'll, that'll uh, usually trigger some, some feelings of tension or, or uh, even muscle spasm, you know, gets that deep. So the coherent breathing is simply in and out. Ideally, it's about six seconds. But if some people can't go that long to start because they're just shallow breathers. So Start with three or four seconds. If you can comfortably breathe in for four, then you breathe out for four. In for four and out for four, and there's no pauses. This is not in for four and hold for four. No, right. there's no pause. Picture it more as a pendulum swinging back and forth. Okay, because ideally what you want to get out of the breath, there's a, the reason the coherent breathing is so powerful is because it creates coherence, especially between the brain and the heart. And, and without getting too scientific, that means something really good is happening in the body like really, really good. That Mm. means all the rhythms are syncing up and that's where you want to be in a coherent state. From an energetic standpoint, coherence equals health and and dissidence equals disease or dysfunction uh, or discomfort. So you want coherency always. Um, That's like when energy fields are coherent, when you're around someone else and you're like, God, I love this person's energy. It's usually because there's coherency between your field and their field. And that's what you're picking up on that. And you're like, wow, I like this person's energy. Versus when you get next to someone else, maybe you're like, whoa, this person's energy is throwing me off or I'm getting I'm getting kind of agitated with her that's because your fields are not able to communicate with one another so the coherent breathing for sure regulates the body's system especially the autonomic nervous system which is sympathetic and parasympathetic or fight and flight and rest and digest or relaxation and that's what we want is balance hmm. right it's always a balance people say oh, everything in moderation no moderation doesn't work for a lot of reasons I'll tell you why first in America anyway Americans don't know moderation Two, if I were to, let's say you banged your arm on something and, and it was bruised. And then I came over once a week and I just like tapped it just like that. And I just, hey, man, don't worry. It's just moderation. I didn't hit you that hard. <laughs> but would you wonder why the thing's not healing? Like every week I'm like, hey, man, that thing's not healing. You're like, well, that's because you keep hitting me. I'm like, oh, it's just in moderation. <laughs> I mean, so the point, yeah, the point is this. If, if we do stuff to ourselves on the outside that, and that wouldn't make sense, in moderation, then why would we eat, drink, eat and drink and breathe in ways in moderation, right? It doesn't work. The concept doesn't work. It's everything in balance and there's a big difference. So because you can breathe to speed up your nervous system and you can breathe to slow down your nervous system. And that's kind of the yin and yang of of health, right? And so ideally you want to breathe in balance most of the time because you want to stay in balance most of the time, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if you want to relax, like past that point, because that should keep you kind of in this this very um, balanced state. But let's say you're trying to go to sleep. You would want to prolong the exhale. So that means if you were breathing in for four, you would breathe out longer for six. Or if you could only breathe in for four, maybe only breathe in for three and then out for four. But you want to prolong the exhalation and, you know, the out breath, and that actually will calm you down. If you get that quite right, you'll doze off pretty quick, actually. Hmm. It really helps to slow the mind down. Now, if you want to speed up your nervous system, it would be more of the quick, rapid breathing, kind of like a breath of fire. You know, you see that's taught in Kundalini breathing, or people sometimes do it instinctively. Like if you go, okay, you're gonna jump off the bridge, right? Right. Yeah. Your people, what do they do? They go, 
<laughs> right? And they just start pumping that breath, like trying to get like really psyched yeah. up. So it's almost, again, it's an instinct to know to do that, to get your sympathetic system revved up. Right. right? So all you would have to do is start rapidly breathing, you know, and um, kind of, again, just in and out through your nose. So if, if you, if you just kind of focus on it's really just one long exhale, like the, the correct way to teach Kundalini breathing, it's really just truly a one long exhale, but you're pulsing it. So, you know, it's, but you're really just still breathing out. You're not really trying to suck it in and out. It's a, if you do it that way, you find it's way easier to do. Hmm. And it, you don't get dizzy and you don't feel the, like a lot of the weird stuff sometimes people do when they first try to learn to do that kind of breathing. Um, but the point is, if you, if you just rapidly breathe in out, it's going to amp up your nervous system. Right. There's no doubt. Most people don't need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for, for everyday kind of waking life, you're aiming for that continuous, like you said, three to four in four out just keeping that rhythm going and then there's all sorts of these other techniques that are can be used in different scenarios right and the thing is this if you want to uh ideally you know again with the coherent breathing too it'd be up to six seconds it's just that i found a lot of my patients clients can't get there if you haven't tried to breathe longer than four or five they start getting this air hunger so they get anxious and they uh it almost like they're gasping and I'm like, okay, that tells me that you're a very shallow breather. Right. So yeah, um, people in our culture in American culture, they are vertical breathers, which means, you know, they breathe with their shoulders rising up toward their ears and down as opposed to being a horizontal breather, meaning, you know, you should expand kind of forward and backward and outward. And I don't, I like the people to visualize too, when you're breathing, it's body breathing. It isn't belly breathing. I don't call it belly breathing because the reason for, I say that is, if people try to breathe just with their belly, what ends up happening is they push their stomach out. You shouldn't push anything when you're breathing. If you're breathing correctly, what happens is because your diaphragm is a dome shape, when you breathe in, it drops and it flattens and it pushes down into your abdominal contents, like the organs in your abdomen, like your liver, stomach, spleen, all that. and that, that's what pushes your abdomen out naturally. But you shouldn't push it out like by thinking about pushing it out because that's not really truly diaphragmatic breathing. Right. Plus... The majority of our lung volume is actually in the back of us, not the front of us, and it is on the lower parts. So it is it is true that you should breathe low into your body, but most of our lung volume actually is is because uh, it's shaped you know like that is in the back. So really, you should almost try to be breathing through your kidneys and the back side of you and breathing in all directions, right? If you blow up a balloon, it doesn't blow up in one direction. You know, it expands yeah three dimensionally. So yeah, that's um. That's one concept uh, is just that it's full body breathing. So I like to tell people, picture your bands, your bones expanding and contracting, right? As your whole body is getting on an inhale, it's getting wider and on an exhale, it's getting more narrow. And that's literally what a pulse, mm. right? It's just like your whole body is pulsing and things that are alive pulse, mm-hmm. right? Things that aren't alive <laughs> don't usually have a pulse. So uh, yeah, that's one thing to consider. You know, if people do want to chop it down into the, the thorax, so to speak, then the two thirds, one third equation would work, which means two thirds of the breath should come from the lower part and only the last one third at the final part of the breath. It's okay if your chest moves, but it really shouldn't move vertically. It should move outward, like front to back. Okay. You know, as opposed to it rising up, which is a foreign concept to people. But that's, that's one of those things. Again, the more they play with breathing, uh, when they feel it for the first time, like, oh my God, like, that's so weird. I've never felt, I've never felt myself breathe like that. And it's like, yeah. So, um, yeah, those are some good strategies. Uh, I have a few more if you, if you want me to share. Uh, 
I, I, I was going to follow that up with that. We did, you did a breathing exercise with uh, Dr. Ali at the Canada Fruit Fest. And I think it was the three part where we did belly, chest, and then exhale, I believe, if and I exhale. remember. So where does something like that kind of fit in, in terms of, uh, I guess, what was the goal that you and Dr. Ali were aiming for with that? Because, I mean, I noticed, I certainly I haven't, I'm no expert with breath work, but some of those deeper, speedier breathing exercises, I'm not sure what you would call them, but, they, you know, they produce very physiological um, states where you, you all of a sudden you can start, you feel like your limbs are shaking and... So what, what's yeah. going on there? Break it down for us. Yeah, so that is a little bit more advanced stuff. So Ali and I had to kind of make a gut call on that, like, hey, is this, is this, do we want to do this with this group? And we thought it would be, you know, worthwhile. And so, and because there was two of us, we're like, okay, we can monitor everyone. And, and yeah, he actually had people as well breathing through their mouth. I mean, that's the other thing is when you're just in everyday life, you, sh- you want to master nose breathing. You should not be a mouth breather because mouth breathing stimulates sometimes sympathetic response. So you want to you wanna be breathing through your nose uh, because that'll keep you calm and, and more balanced. But with the breath we were doing, it was more of a rebirthing type of breath, which is a little bit more advanced. So it was like an, an in, in, and out, and it was all through the mouth. What happens is because there's a shift in the, the blood chemistry when you breathe like that. Some people even went in, into tetany. So that you know, can feel their muscles just start to lock up, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of if you're not used to that, it can be a little frightening. But uh, I mean, nothing bad is going to happen. But if you didn't know that, um, you could be like, "Oh my God, I'm dying!" <laughs> <laughs> not dying. Uh, if your body can produce that kind of response, you're definitely not dying. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically all that happens there. It's a blood chemistry change of the pH of the blood, and uh, so a little bit of excitation of the muscles through, um, you know, uh, some of the the physiology of what happens to calcium and how it excites muscles and, and stuff like that. But even the pH, like I said, shifting because of the way we're breathing, but that was a very profound experience for sure. It went really well because like once he had people breathing, then I just, as you know, I took everyone through a a kind of a guided meditation Mm -hmm. and everybody really, uh, really connected well uh, in that group and got a lot out of it. I think people for the first time could actually feel their, feel their breath and stay connected to it. And I thought everyone did a good job. So yeah, that's not something I recommend people just haphazardly do on their own, um, especially if they have no experience with it. Right. But since him and I have, you know, we're like, yeah, this, this will be all right. This will be fun. Yeah. You know, when I went to the Woodstock festival, I actually chose a different pattern. I didn't, uh, I did the coherent breathing cause he wasn't with me and I had a different group of people and it was a little bigger even. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I want to try to deal with this many people yeah. on my own uh, with trying to get people to, kind of be able to work through some of that stuff uh so the coherent breathing worked really well though uh people had again a very profound experience i got a lot of feedback i'm still getting feedback from it actually i get gotten emails and they're like i can't wait till next year and uh yeah i got something even better next year so it, it'll be uh it'll be a lot of fun for sure but um yeah that's that's really what was going on there awesome yeah i'm looking forward to it so much good information here you are an encyclopedia of knowledge, Dr. Sam. I appreciate it. I got one, I got one tip too for people too. And this is, a, this is a kind of a fun way to ensure that you're not holding your breath and that you actually continue to breathe while you're focused on a task. Is, and little kids do this intuitively again, or they used to. <laughs> I don't know so much anymore, but it's just to hum. You know, there's like that, there's that old expression, whistle while you work. Well, humming, I mean, I remember as a kid, I used to do it all the time. 
and kids do it, you know, they're just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, which is nothing more than a prolonged exhalation. So then what happens is when you expire all that air, then you go, mm-hmm, right? And you just keep humming. And uh, if you hum, even if you kept it silent, so to speak, but the intention is still there, you'll find that your breathing still remains intact. And uh, that is a great thing to do when you're doing a task, let's say washing dishes or sending a text or typing on the keyboard. You'd be amazed at like how relaxed that keeps you. The other thing humming does uh, physiologically, scientifically, is it actually increases nitric oxide um, um, in your nasal cavities and everything, which is where it's produced in the para, paranasal sinuses um, in those cavities. That dilates blood vessels. So that's a really good thing. Um, because you want your blood vessels to stay dilated so that they're getting blood and then you stay healthy. Uh, think about what they give cardiac patients, right? Nitroglycerin, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Under their tongues. When they're having a heart attack, they want to dilate the coronary arteries so their heart doesn't seize up. So humming is a, um, is a natural way to get the nitric oxide levels to rise in your uh, um, body. Uh, it's kind of a secondary Viagra for sure. <laughs> it, uh, it actually does help with that, by the way. I've had people with a, uh, um, libido issues and just erectile dysfunction actually use a lot of breathwork stuff hmm. to, to uh, you know, help those issues. And they, they came back and said, oh, I can't believe this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I said, you know, you never know. Maybe intuitively that's why people like moan and groan when they're making. <laughs> totally. You know, it's like, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, I didn't realize this is kind of helping me relax. But uh, yeah, it, it really does. So humming is a great is a great strategy because there's nothing to think about. Like you're not counting your breath. You're not, you just hum and you just hum until like, what do you hum? I don't know. I'm the Smurfs. <laughs> I'm, probably da- I'm probably dating myself there. Like, oh, it's a Smurf. Like the cartoon yeah. when I was a kid, right? So had that little, that little uh, uh, melody to it. But I mean, you could, you could hum anything. It was funny. One day I was power washing my porch and I find myself humming Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. You know, the mm, 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 mm. Yeah. And I started laughing because I wasn't intending to do that. I just was like, oh, I'm just going to hum. And that's what came out intuitively. And it's funny because you got a power washer, right? And my forearms are just like burning because I'm holding this, this, you know, hose that's got the gun on the end and, you know, you're power washing the porch. And so, but kid you not, I got done with that, with that, um, activity and i was at it a good 45 minutes to an hour wasn't tired wasn't tired my forearms didn't hurt i wasn't sore the next day guarantee that's why because i was never holding my breath i wasn't holding the tension in my body because i allowed all that to move through me guarantee that's why i wasn't sore so it's pretty intense work wow you know when you do that stuff awesome amazing information dr sam if people want to find you online or on social media where can they find you yeah, um, Instagram is is Dr. Sam P three P T three. So that's D R S A M P T, and then the number three again. D R S A M P T three is on Instagram, and then on uh, YouTube, uh, it's just backslash you know users Dr. Sam P T D R S A M P T, and then my main website is guess what Dr. Sam P T dot com, which is D R S A M P T dot com pretty easy to remember again drsampt.com is my main site it's got a lot of information on there about my retreats and um where i'm teaching or speaking or all that good stuff so excellent well thanks again dr sam hope to have you on the show again yeah i look forward to brian thanks for having all right me. for sure thank you for listening to the show today if you enjoy our content please help support us by subscribing to and sharing this podcast or by joining our insider zone 
at www.patreon.com slash elysiumprojecttv. That's www.patreon.com slash elysiumprojecttv. And remember, we're always happy to hear from you. If you have any feedback about the show or have a particular guest you would like us to have on, please feel free to send us an email at podcast at elysiumproject.tv. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.